0: Everyone else, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And as you're finding that in your Bible, Exodus chapter 20, I want you to know that we have reached today the halfway mark of our consideration of the ten words, the ten commandments. As you're finding Exodus 20, we are halfway there. And I hope that by this point, as we've gone through the ten words, the first four, that we've come to appreciate God's top ten ...as more than just commandments that form the law. I hope we've come to see them as more than this... ...that they are also invitations of grace. These ten words are part of God's law of love. I don't know about you... ...but sometimes in the midst of the ongoing conversation in our world today... ...about if there is such a thing as sin... ...and what is it? The greatest evidence of the reality of sin... ...that there is sin, of how to define our brokenness as a people comes to our perpetual confusion when it comes to love. Though we crave to give love, though we each desire to be loved, we are often perplexed, aren't we, about how to love God, how to love each other. These 10 words, these commandments from God are a means to teach us how to love. The Apostle John expressed it this way, for this is love of God. That we keep his commandments. And John goes on to add that his commandments are not burdensome. They're intended to free us, not to burden us. Beloved, I think in the midst of that struggle to love, and, and yet God speaking to us, that is no more pronounced, no more pointed, than in the most intimate of our relationships, the relationship that we have with our parents. And that brings us today to the fifth word that we'll be looking at. But before we go there, let's consider... These ten words. These ten words reveal the Lord's pattern for life. They are our guide for living as God intended. The first four words of the law shape our life with God. The last six words shape our life with each other. This morning, we remember and declare all the commandments. And so I ask you, what are the ten commandments? Love, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. What is the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. Beloved, what does this commandment mean? Paul wrote, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the law. As children, we will respect and appreciate, you can share this with me, as children, we will respect and appreciate those who have brought us life, care, teaching, and encouragement, however imperfectly, for such honor shows love to the one who sent those agents into our lives. Paul also wrote, Parents, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. As children, we will patiently love and respect our parents unto the Lord. In our words and deeds, we will not neglect or fail to help them. As parents, we will encouragingly correct our children and guide them in the training and instruction of the Lord. In our words and deeds, we will not exasperate or manipulate them. The first part of the law, beloved, is the great commandment that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. The second part of the law flows out of our understanding of this first commandment. We must love our neighbors as ourselves, Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The final six words of the Ten Commandments are about human relationships. And, and right from the outset, what that shows us as we enter into that, those last six is that God seems to care as much about how we relate to each other as he does about how we relate to him. In other words, how we relate to God has everything to do with how we relate to each other, and vice versa. That's why when Jesus was asked to summarize the law, as we declared in this reading, he put the two together, not as two laws, but as one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law hinges on this commandment, Jesus said. This fifth word that leads us into the final six is unique. It's unique from the rest of the commandments in that it is positive in both its form and its content. As we read the Ten Commandments, as we've done this the last few weeks, you notice that typically the commandments begin, Thou shall not. But the fifth commandment begins with, Honor your father and mother. What we're going to discover this morning is that this particular commandment is foundational, in fact, to the remaining five because, in many ways, if we can't get this relationship right, it'll be very difficult to get the rest of our relationships in life to work well either. And the proof of this stands also in the distinctiveness of this fifth word in that the fifth word stands apart in that it is the only word, the only commandment in which the goal of the command is explicitly stated. Honor your father and mother in order that you may live long in the land. Now, when we hear this seemingly simple command, honor your father and mother, we have many questions that come to mind. The first is, what does it mean, we step back and just take the, the word, the key verb in that, that, that command, honor. What does it mean to honor your parents? Now, most of us, the default when we hear honor your mother and father is obey. I had a couple people who I told, I was preaching on the honor your mother and father, Exodus 20, uh, ch- uh, verse 12, and they said, I'm going to bring my kids. They need to hear this. That's right, honor your mother and father. The default is obey. And I don't want to take away that meaning, but in reality, the Hebrew word that's used here for honor actually has a much broader meaning. The verb translated here comes from a root that means to be heavy or to lend weight to. So in essence, honor your father and mother means give your father and mother the weight they deserve in your life. The idea is parents are not just to be obeyed, but prized by their children, esteemed and valued by them all of their lives. Another way of thinking of this is the opposite of this command of honoring your mother and father would be to treat your parents lightly, to ignore them, to minimize them, or worse, mistreat them. What we see right from the outset in unpacking that verb, honor, is that honoring your parents, this word, this command, is more than some kind of token act. It's not just about going through the motions. And how many of us, and you don't have to raise your hands if you've been an adolescent, if you are an adolescent, reach the point where you know how to obey your parents. You know how to tell them what they need to hear. Do what you need to do so they will understand that you've obeyed them. And yet, in that space where you tell them what they need to hear and do what they need to see you doing, you still get to do and say what you want. You know what I'm talking about. We all find that space. And this commandment, this word honor, is teasing out that it's not about a token act of obedience. It's not about just going through the motions, saying the things we need to say or doing the things that we need to do. To honor is about an action and an attitude. Honor is about action and attitude. And as with any relationship, (laughs) when we get beyond the surface, when we get into action and attitude, there is no simplistic formula. In giving this command, the questions that come, come because there's no simplistic formula. And so in many ways, the starting point for this command of understanding, honoring our parents, is more than token obedience. The action and the attitude begin by stepping back, by pausing, and getting to know, coming to know and appreciate our parents for who they are rather than for who we wanted them to be, rather than for who we, they should have been, rather than for who we thought they were. This command is saying, come and know your parents and appreciate them for who they are. So it begs the question, given this, how do we honor our parents? You know, the first thing that we have to do is we have to step back and recognize that the very, the very fact that this command, this word is given, suggests something. The very fact that this is in the list of God's top ten means that recognizing or honoring our parents isn't a given. It's not our default mode. We don't naturally honor our parents because if we did, then why would God need to give this word of instruction? If we naturally did it, God wouldn't have to make mention of it. So what that really draws out, which is kind of shocking for us to hear, is that consciously or unconsciously, our default mode, a byproduct of the brokenness in our life, the sin in our life, is we don't normally honor our parents, our default mode, consciously or unconsciously, is to take advantage of our parents. To take them for granted. So right from the outset, it's this sort of stepping back and realizing that we need to really, it's not something that we're inclined to do naturally, but we need to learn how to do. Now, And and I want to say as we get into this of how we honor our parents, that you're going to see as we grow up, how we honor our parents will change. And this makes sense. As we mature, That affects our relationship. Our maturity in our relationship with our parents changes how we honor them. And so as we go through this progression, you're going to see how there's a a, a defining thread, but yet it changes in what it looks like, that action and attitude coming together. From the outset, let's start at the beginning. As children, honoring our parents comes easy. It's that place where it's really fundamentally where we go to about obedience, right? Because as children, we honor our parents through obedience. And one of the things we need to realize and I'll come back to this when we get to adolescence, is that God wouldn't command us to honor our parents if he hadn't given parents, our parents, authority in the first place. Because somewhere along the way as children, we start to question the authority of our parents, and we start to get to a place where we say, well, you know what, I'll give you authority if I want to give you authority. But one of the things that this command draws out is unlike any other relationship, the authority given to our parents is not based upon whether we choose to give it or not. God gives authority to our our, our parents. And therefore, from the outset, if you want to take on your parents, you have to take on God. (laughs) Because God's the one who's given them this authority, hence the call to honor them. But now as children, like I said, when we first start out, we really don't struggle with this at much, that much. We, we, in fact, don't even question this authority. We rely on it at the beginning of our lives, don't we? I mean, we come into this world, we're naked, we're helpless, we're dependent on our parents. You know, we, we look up to them, we look to them, we, we seek their guidance and instruction. You know, don't touch that hot stove, don't put your finger in that electrical socket. My gosh, look both ways before you cross the street. Our parents teach us and obey us. We come into this world and there's all these things that are going on, things we don't know. We, we come in, we don't know how to walk, we don't know how to speak. We defer to our parents naturally. We listen, we watch, we follow their lead because it's in listening, watching, following le- their lead, obeying, submitting to their authority that we discover, we come to process these instincts and desires within us. And for a young child, one of the first instincts and desires, it manifests itself when, ironically, the first word that many children learn is, No! 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 And children see that reaction on our face and they actually smile sometimes when they say, it. No! No! And as parents, we need to to help our children process that kind of instinct and desire, and there are way more, of where is it appropriate to say no? What does no mean? Because those instincts and desires will soon become, as we learn to speak, as we learn to think, will become things that we believe and value. That's how we process all those instincts and desires. And then eventually those beliefs and values become attitudes and behaviors for engaging our world around us. And that first moment is apparent, that 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 difficult moment when we first have our child go to preschool or that first play date. It's the moment where the instincts, the desires, and the the values and beliefs and the attitudes and behaviors all come together when the kid's on the playground and they're with someone else and they have their toy and someone else on the playground takes their toy and in that moment they go, no, Bam. And we're like, he's really not like this at home. We really have talked about this. We defer to our parents because they pour into us. They teach us how to engage this world around us. We obey them naturally. And this word to honor our parents through obedience is not exclusive to Exodus. As many of us know, it's affirmed by Jesus and later even by Paul. When Paul says, children, obey your parents, as we read, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your mother and father, Paul writes, for this is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. What Paul's getting at here. Especially when we're children, is that we rely on our parents, we obey them and honor them by obeying them because our parents teach us life lessons. We obey them because we realize that there are means to grow up, there are means to survive in this world. And so it is for a time. And then we move from being children to being young adults, teenagers, adolescents, and honor changes. At this stage of life when we're young, young adults, we can honor our parents biblically through wisdom. You know, back in the day when an Israelite child re- reached the age of 13, he was perceived as officially within his community and among his parents at 13 perceived as transitioning from childhood to adulthood. And this is part of where we get our tradition in the Lutheran Church of confirmation, around that age where we think it's a time for children to take responsibility for their faith, to declare it publicly, and then they're seen in the eyes of the church as being adults. Now, even though we may do this in the church, and even back in the day when this was part of Jewish tradition, I just want to share with you that it's not something that's unique to our time. It's across time that this transition from childhood to adolescence is tough. It's filled with tension and anxiety. In fact, even Jesus at this age experienced tension with his earthly parents. You remember, don't you, what happened to Jesus when he was 12? You remember when Jesus went into town with his parents and his parents left because they thought Jesus was with him, and then they realized, where's Jesus, and Jesus was actually at the temple? Now, I may offend some of you, but you've got to read a little bit of adolescent sarcasm when the parents question Jesus, and Jesus basically says, Duh, I'm at my father's house. Where did you think I'd be? So there's a little bit of encouragement that this tension and anxiety about this transition from childhood to young adulthood is not unique to us. And part of that tension is, at this stage of life, we tend to reject the counsel of our parents. Because before, where we simply said no, now that manifests into, you just don't get it. You don't know anything. My gosh, mom, my gosh, dad, are you serious? We reject the counsel of our parents because we believe they don't get it. We come to experience them as getting in the way of our getting our way. Seriously, do you exist to ruin my entire life? (laughs) You used to be so fun, you are just a major drag all the time. So I'm not going to have a life. That's what it is, right? I'm not going to have a life. I'm basically not going to have a life. I'm in prison until I go to college. We think, we say. But what the Bible says when it says honor your mother and father at this stage of life is that by being older, teens honor their parents not by simply obeying them. Back to that, oh, I can tell you what you want to hear, do what you want to do. But as teens, we honor our parents not just by obeying them, but by being responsible to their counsel, by applying the lessons that we learn from them, by being wise. A teenager honors his parents by taking personal responsibility before God and his neighbor for his words, her thoughts, his actions and decisions. When we exercise and practice wisdom, when we make good choices, when we own our stuff, when we learn from our mistakes and accept correction, we honor our parents. Our parents beam with pride. You have clean underwear on. I raised you right. You made a good choice. It's hard, though. Mark Twain once wrote, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> I'm saying a word to the teenagers in the room right now. And those of you who are teenagers, you, I know where you are. It's the, uh, you are teenagers, but actually the parents that you're living with were once teenagers too. And so someone once said them to them, to this to them as well. Right now, whether you'll admit it or not, there is a part of you that believes your parents are totally out of it. They don't get it. There is a part of you that more and more with each day is increasingly coming to believe that your parents are more wrong than they're right. Trust me as one who once sat in your shoes, and there are others around who have sat in your shoes too, that there will come a day when you will discover that it was you who were more wrong than right about your parents. That you will discover that it was not they who were out of it, it's you who were out of it. And they were more right than you gave them credit for. Honor them by honoring their counsel. Honor them by making wise choices, by demonstrating wisdom, not being foolish. Now, for the teenagers who are like, well, this sucks. came to this sermon. Great. I want to speak to your parents. That includes myself because I'm no longer an adolescent. I'm a parent, too. Parents, if you're right now, like, pinching your kid, did you hear what Pastor Chris just said? You have to wear clean underwear. Did you hear what Pastor Chris just said? He said it, too. Parents remember that honor is a two-way street. While this commandment calls for children to honor their parents, the underlying assumption is that parents will also honor their children. In this culture, in this time when this word was given, in this Israelite community, at that time of, of, of the world, children were of the utmost value. Sons and daughters were considered a form of wealth, not property, but a form of wealth, a blessing. Your prosperity as a family was based on the size of your family. That was the livelihood, the size of your family. That's why we see in different biblical stories when people are not able to have children. This tragedy of barrenness, it's this sense of a lack of wholeness, perceived as a lack of blessing. And so children were lifted up. They were worthy of honor. They were meant to be honored. And parents, biblically, as you go through the story after Exodus, Proverbs is a great place to go. Parents are taught that they honor their children by exercising healthy authority and positive discipline. Parents, honor is a two-way street. We are responsible for molding and shaping the will of our children. Notice I didn't say our job is to build our child's self-esteem. You will find no biblical precedent for building your child's self-esteem. Because biblically we understand that our self-esteem gets built pretty good on its own. In fact, it actually grows bigger than our heads. Self-esteem is not the problem. The Bible says our job as parents is to mold and shape the will of our children. But notice what I also didn't say. I didn't say break the will. Paul writes, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't manipulate them or they'll become embittered. Our goal as parents, we we are worthy, if you will, of that honor that we ask our children to give us by bringing them to maturity, by enabling them to achieve self-discipline, by enabling them to have responsibility, by working ourselves out of a job. That's the great irony of this stage of life, is that both the teenager and the parent both want the same thing. The teenager just wants to be free. I want to do my own things. I want to make my own choices. And the parent's like, hey man, I want to let you go. I want to be free of you. but I'm not going to put you out there so you get yourself killed or kill somebody else. (laughs) At the end of the day, both want the same thing. But what it comes back to is that two-way street of honor. I'm going to say this as an aside before I move on from parents. This honor is a two-way street. This molding and shaping the will of our children includes teaching them the Christian faith. I don't know where it happened, I don't know how it happened, I don't know when it happened, but somewhere along the way, parents have come to believe that the spiritual upbringing of their children is the responsibility of the church. That we bring our kids here and we say, Pastor, I don't know what to do with them here. Hey, John, you know what? My kid needs Jesus. Can you take care of that for me? (laughs) Beth, we don't read this book, but we think it's a good book, so could you teach them? Hear me, biblically, the primary responsibility for imparting, for teaching the Christian faith to children is from the parents. We are here to help you. We are here to guide you. But it is primarily your responsibility. There is no magic alone. If anyone's told you that there's magic in one Sunday school hour at Bible Adventures, that there's some magic alone. Or there's magic on Wednesday or Tuesday night coming to youth group with John. Or there's magic by suddenly showing up for confirmation. You've been sold a bill of goods that's a lie. There is no magic that all of a sudden is going to catch up for years when you haven't spoken to your kids about their relationship with Christ. When you haven't modeled that in your own way. Faith is not taught. Faith is caught. If you don't take it seriously, why should they? If you don't talk about it, if you don't read this Bible, if you don't pray out loud, if you don't think about, make decisions in reference to Christ, why should they? And I want to say to you, if this is, you're feeling a little nervous right now, start early. And if you have missed part of that time, start now. Because like everything else with our relationship with our kids, the time quickly passes and soon it will be too late and your influence, your voice, will fade or it will be the byproduct of what you have poured in the other way. Okay, so we talked about children, we talked about teenagers, and, and we, we, many people would think we would stop there because it's interesting, the stereotypical thing when we hear this commandment, honor thy, thy mother and father, father and mother, is we think again it applies to kids, to teenagers, right? But here, I'm here to tell you something you may have never thought about, is actually, while we often hear this commandment address, addressed to little children and teens, in fact, this word was most, most likely first given to adult children. It's not like God was given the Ten Commandments and said, hey, bring the little ones and the teenagers around. I got a little word for them. <laughs> Come on. God was talking to the adult children primarily. God was talking to the adult children, and he was saying to the adult children, Honor your father and mother. Honor them primarily by caring for them when they become old. Set the scene for you. The Israelites have been um, exodist, ransomed out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness going towards a, a land that God has promised to them. As we've already seen, and if we continue through Numbers and Deuteronomy, we continue to see they are an emerging people, a building nation, but they are vulnerable as they travel across the wilderness. There are threats on every side. There's the severity of the desert. There's long stretches of travel by foot. And as you can imagine with, you know, millions potentially of people, that traveling with elder parents is becoming a burden. It's becoming inefficient. It's becoming weakening. And so it might be tempting for some of the heads of families to start abandoning their parents if they get injured or become ill. And if you start to get shocked at that, the justification is, hey, it's for the greater good. We shouldn't sacrifice the whole community because mom and dad got sick or they broke their leg. You know, you're old anyway. You're going home to the Lord. You you laugh. But it's in this context, this temptation, this justification for neglect and abandonment, that God declares responsibility to the generation that came before. Honor your parents by supporting and caring for them. The logic is simple. God is saying we honor our parents by realizing that someday we parent our parents. If your parents sacrifice their time and attention and ambitions and a, to give birth to you, to wash you, to bathe you, to feed you, to nurture you, then it's only right that you do exactly the same for them when they become childlike in old age. Now this word I find more and more is becoming countercultural in the modern American society in which we live. Now there are, still, there are other cultures other world cultures that still instill the value of honoring older generations, parents, grandparents, respecting your elders even as adults. But our dominant American culture is going the other way. You're seeing it like I am, aren't you? That we prize, we glorify youth, being young, which means we despise old age. And the greatest evidence of this, which is shocking and disturbing to me, is that because older people don't have a voice, don't have a place, older people are trying and being encouraged to be younger and to do things that they shouldn't be doing because they're not young anymore. Because it's the only way they're going to survive. We remain, as sociologists tell us, and it's growing, in a state of perpetual adolescence in modern American society, where we don't grow up, but we continue to rebel, continue to reject from, those who, are older from reject those who are older from us, or we live off them. And this is evidence in our families. We see it in our neighborhoods. We see it in our churches. We see it in our businesses. We see it in our politics. And this fifth word from the Lord is where God wants to drive home, that he wants us to grow up. That God, surprise, surprise, is not primarily interested in our pleasure. That God is not primarily interested in our efficiency. God is not primarily interested in our productivity as the primary values that drive us. As a nation is being formed, it's like, you know, this is kind of slowing us down. We could do things more efficiently. We could have a better journey across the wilderness. We could be more productive. God doesn't say, great idea. God says, no, no, no. I am forming a people And I don't want efficiency, productivity and pleasure to be the values that shape my people. I want tenderness. I want nurture. I want covenant love to be the defining shape to the people that I am bringing up. Because tenderness, covenant love, nurture is what's going to bind the generations rather than separate them. Think about that. When we prize efficiency, productivity and pleasure, it separates us as generations. When we prize tenderness, nurture, and covenant love, it brings us together. And that is what God is saying. And it's not just an Old Testament principle. Jesus affirmed this ideal as well. If you go to Matthew 15, there is a really fascinating account, story where Jesus is condemning the Pharisees. He's condemning the Pharisees because they've created this tradition that's allowed sons and daughters to forsake their responsibility for caring for their aging parents. See, so what happened is the priests contrived a pension, that allowed people to dedicate all their money as a gift to God, yet they still could use it for their own needs and benefits. If you go to Matthew uh, 15, the way it kind of plays out is that when parents needed financial assistance, what individuals would say is they'd go, oh, I'm sorry, I have no money to give you because I've dedicated it all to God. Jesus calls out this practice as voiding God's command to honor one's parents. And beyond what, how he corrects this behavior, Jesus' own example from the throes of agony on the cross. We remember this as one of the poignant moments, don't we? When Jesus coming, doing what he came to do, says to John, looking out for his mother, his aging mother, she is your mother, this is your son. He provides for his mother even as he is dying on the cross. It goes beyond Jesus. Paul instructed Timothy. Paul instructs Timothy, again, in another fascinating letter, not to put any widow on the list for financial support from the church if she had surviving children. Paul stresses, wait a second, this responsibility primarily belongs to the children. Paul writes down, if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Paul goes on, get ready for it, buckle your seatbelts, because I couldn't believe this when I saw it. Paul goes on, To say that for a believer to deny this responsibility, for a believer to refuse this responsibility, was a denial of God himself. Paul writes, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied his faith. And is worse than an unbeliever. Whoa. Whoa. Now, I know that in the midst of this, you've got tons of questions that are coming in your your head and you're, like, bursting. And one of them is probably, okay, okay, I'm honoring my parents. Does honoring my parents mean that I have to do what our parents want all the time? I mean, sometimes parents can be cross and unreasonable. Sometimes our parents get older. And as they get older, they become confused. As they get older, they become disoriented. As they get older, they sometimes become incoherent. As they get older, sometimes they even become rebellious. Some of you are in this room right now and you find yourself with your parents and they're making demands of you and of your family that are virtually impossible for you to fulfill. You're finding yourself faced with the kind of decisions and choices that potentially could compromise or worse, destroy your marriage, your family life. Do I have to do everything that my parents want? Is that honoring my parents? Beloved, in these circumstances, sometimes the most painful ones of our lives, this fifth word is not saying that we have to do everything our parents want, but it is calling us to give our parents what they need. It is calling us to sacrifice for our, our parents, but to find a balance, to find a balance where we do the best we can for them without neglecting or abandoning our own families, just like they did When they raised us, hopefully. We rely on the grace of God and we do the best we can. Now some of you may be going pushing beyond that and saying, okay, (laughs) what if the parents that I have, the parent that I had, didn't live up to what you described before? What if that honor is a two-way street? What if my parent hurt me, neglected me? How do I honor them? How do I honor my parent who wasn't present? I mean, literally, they were never there. They disappeared. I don't even know where they are right now. I never got to know them. How do I honor them? How do I honor my parent who abandoned me because they spent more time at work or more time on the golf course or more time somewhere else, anywhere else but with me? How do I honor them? How do I honor a parent who abused me physically? Verbally, you heard Denise preach a couple of weeks back and she shared as a chaplain her own story of someone who came to her once and shared a horrific story of being beaten on a regular basis by his father while he continued to recite the fifth commandment, honor your mother and father. How do I honor that? The first thing I want you to hear in a, in a, in a reality that is so hard to imagine, that honestly there are in many ways no words, the first thing I want you to hear is that if that's your story, you're not alone. You're not alone. Ishmael felt abandoned by his father, Abraham. Jacob pined for the attention of his father, Isaac, who favored his brother, Jacob, Esau, his brother Esau. Joseph endured the abuse and abandonment of his family as well. Our own Martin Luther... Lutheran Church, Martin Luther, I don't know how many of you know this, hesitated, struggled with giving the name Father to God because his own father had been so stern and severe with him. You are not alone. That doesn't change what happened to you. But you're not alone. You're not alone wherever you fall on that spectrum because in many ways, beloved, in order to embrace this commandment, to even live into it, the starting place is acknowledging wherever we fall in this trajectory the extreme, or somewhere in the middle, we cannot live into this commandment until we acknowledge that our parents had their faults, that they weren't perfect. And for abusive and neglective parents, I want to say to you this morning, you may not be able to respect them as persons, but this commandment calls you to respect their position as parents, even if it's biological, and that's all you have. You know, we talk about how do we honor our parents and this is true for all of us, but especially for those who've had abusive and neglectful parents, the most powerful way we can honor parents like that is we can honor them, we can love the person of our parents by being willing to forgive them. And let me tell you, in saying that out loud, that is not something if you've tried or if you have felt pulled that you can do on your own strength. It is not humanly possible for any relationship, but especially to forgive an abusive or neglectful parent. On your own. It requires the help, the filling, the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural thing to forgive. To love and to forgive. But that is a way to honor our parents because we can give respect and honor to that kind of parent. A parent who doesn't deserve it. And it can be the means of grace that prods them to repentance. That brings them to an awareness of what went wrong. Of where they went wrong. But I'm going to be honest with you because I know some of you right now have maybe even tried to go down that road and the door's been slammed in your face. Sometimes maybe you tried to love and forgive your parents and you had a situation where your parents were oblivious to your pain. Maybe you had a situation where your parents shrugged it off. They denied it. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Maybe your parents are no longer with you. They've since passed on. What do you do then? We still need to forgive them even if they don't acknowledge it, even if they shrug it off, even if they are no longer with us, we still need to forgive them. We honor them by forgiving them, and we need to forgive them. We need to honor them in this way because to not forgive, to refuse to forgive our parents leads to bitterness and resentment that we will pass unconsciously onto our children and even their children. Another way to think about this is you can honor parents who don't deserve it, who weren't there for you. You can honor their position as parents by breaking the cycle rather than by conforming to it, by extending grace and forgiveness, allowing Jesus to redeem their failures and flaws so that it doesn't get continually repeated within your own family. With your kids and their kids. And that is a way, even though they may not acknowledge it, they may not recognize it, you are honoring your parents, and bigger than that, your family. And that is what God wants when he gives us this word of honor your mother and father. Because, beloved, if you haven't caught it yet, honoring parents isn't isn't an individual commandment. It's corporate. Yahweh is giving these words because he's creating a people He's building a nation, and the building block of building this nation is the family. Have you ever thought about it? The family is the oldest and strongest institution in the world. The family predates, it existed longer than any country, any organization, any institution, because the family is part of our genesis. It's part of our beginning, our creation as humanity. So in essence, what God is saying, with honor your father and mother, is respect what I have made. Because from the family, the rest of the world is built and affected. Now, some of you who are here today throughout this whole sermon have maybe said, you know, I am totally checked out because I don't have kids. I don't have kids because maybe I ha- we haven't been able to. I don't have kids because maybe I've chosen not to. Let me tell you that biblically, just because you don't have children for whatever reason doesn't mean you're not a parent. Because God's ideal is that families grow up and find nurture in the presence of multiple generations. That's what's the beauty of this church, that we are a multi-generational congregation. True discipleship, according to Christ, occurs when the influence of all ages interrelate together. That's why it's so important that we're not just multi, but intergenerational. So whether you have kids or not, you are a parent because you've been adopted into the family of God. And you have a responsibility praying for the children, teaching and mentoring the children and youth in this community, as well as caring for the elders in our community as well. You are a parent. And this is so important for us as a church to get because we see our society falling apart around us. And we all can talk about all the problems, but biblically, what it fundamentally comes down to is society is falling apart because there is no honor anymore in society. A society without honor will not last, will not live long in the land. The honoring of parents in these 10 words is the prerequisite to teaching the rest of the law. If the law is not taught through parents, then the defining reality, the defining center of how the world works becomes me. When I was in my adolescence and I was having it out with my dad, and we were in the midst of one of our many arguments, He was frustrated, I was frustrated. Finally, all of a sudden in the midst of it, he just grabs my hand and starts to pull me outside. He pulls me outside, I don't know what the heck's going on. He pulls me outside, stops, points up, and says, Chris, what is that? And I'm like, what is the old man doing now? (laughs) And I look up, and in the same kind of duh that I gave you before I went, it's the sun. And he said, right, and it doesn't revolve around you. I really wish I had been quick on the uptake and said something like, well, I already learned that in science. Yeah, I knew that. (laughs) Without the law, the teaching of the law, parents in our lives, the defining reality and center becomes me. Honoring our parents is related to all the other commandments that we're going to look. If we don't have the honor of our parents, it affects how we define murder, adultery, theft, false witness, and coveting. I define murder, adultery, theft based on how I define it. And you know what happens when we all define for ourselves all of these different things, right? Society collapses. It's chaos. If we don't start with this first primarily relationship, then convenience and personal preference will define our community rather than personal relationship. Because giving honor to one's parents, whether we like it or not, is how we discover how to love and revere God. It's through the model of our parents that our view of God is shaped. It's through the instruction of our parents that we learn to love God's law. It's instilled with us. It's through our honor towards our parents that we learn to honor others. If we don't respect our parents, how are we gonna respect other people? How we relate to our parents, their habits, their expectations, their guidance, their assessments, shape how we perceive and engage others around us. It affects our sense of destiny, our sense of self, our place in this world, so it all hinges on this command. And I'm here to tell you pastorally that when I do premarital counseling, when I do marriage counseling, when I do family counseling, more often than not, it always comes back to the same thing. An unresolved conflict or problem within the family. The spouse who's having trouble with her husband, it comes back to her relationship with her parents. The father who's struggling to relate to his son goes back to his own relationship with his father. It's connected to the family. Beloved, we've gathered this morning to consider the ties that bind, the ties that none of us have control over, our family ties. We're born into this world without any say-so, connected genetically, often raised in a home as part of a family of which we have no voice in shaping. I didn't choose to become a Twiteman. If I had, I would have picked a better last name. Shorter, (laughs) clearer. And yet despite my, our lack of choices, our relationship with our parents affects how we process our past. It affects how we perceive our future. It affects how we're living right now. And so this word is not just about what we owe to them, it's about what God wants us to experience. Beloved, we honor our parents when we work to build on the foundation that they've provided or when, by forgiving them, we rebuild the foundation of our family. We honor our parents when we recognize that they have given us life. If nothing else, they've given us life, and that we have a responsibility and a privilege to honor them and God by living the life we have. We honor our parents by continuing to remain in relationship with them, even if this happens over a long distance, even if it is by honoring their memory. We honor our parents because, like it or not, our future is tethered to those who have gone before. Because our lives, our families, are the building blocks of all the other structures of society. We can talk all we want about all the problems that are in our world today, but biblically, it comes back to the family. Because how we live with the family name, keeping it rather than cutting the ties that bind, is the means by which God not only created the world, it is the means by which God saves the world. For we are the family of God in Christ. Amen? Amen.